Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and welcome back to the Denology Podcast from Pencil Hill Studio, New Paltz, New York. I'm your host, Howard Weiner. Today is December 26, 2023, and this is episode 21 of the podcast. 44 years ago today, the Grateful Dead played in Oakland Auditorium. That was 1226, 1979. It was a, a show immortalized on the Dick's Pick series as Volume 5. And for Deadheads in attendance that night, it was a, a huge Christmas gift from the Grateful Dead. Um, a, definitely a one-of-a-kind, a distinctive show. And we're going to take a dive, a deep dive into that one. Uh, a lot of unique twists and turns. Uh, also on the, the podcast this week, uh, after we finish going into that, album of the week will be an underrated effort from Mr. Neil Young uh, from 1988. Neil Young and the Blues Notes, this notes for you. So the uh, And also coming up next week uh, for the podcast is going to be an interesting episode. Uh, New Year's Eve, uh, so definitely a, a huge day for the Grateful Dead. Uh, all, with all the amazing New Year's Eve shows, I'm going to do a top 10 greatest performance countdown on New Year's Eve. Uh, so that, that one's going to be interesting next week. I've yet to figure out which uh, performances I'm going to talk about, but I'm going to try to pick out the 10 best, and that will be the topic of uh, next week's podcast. Uh, so let's get into the uh, show from Oakland Auditorium. Oh, one other thing. Deadology Podcast now has a Facebook page. Um, I was looking for a place where people could comment and add stuff to the podcast. If, if you have ticket stubs from the show, photos of uh, the dead from that night or anything to do with, with the, the topic, um, it's the Deadology Podcast on Facebook. You can go there, like the page, and just uh, comment on the episodes as they come out. Um, I get a lot of cool comments on the YouTube page, uh, but I wanted a more general place where people listening on Apple, Spotify could come to. So uh, that's up and running, and all the podcasts will be put on there as they come out. So here we are, Dick's Picks, Volume 5, and Mr. Ludvatla got it right again. Another incredible choice uh, for a series. Uh, show opens up with Cold Rain and Snow. And just one thing, looking at this Dick's Picks 5, it's so unique, the, the jams and the way the show unfolds. Uh, definitely worthy for its uh, one-of-a-kind quality. Then you take a look at the next in the Dick's Pick series, Volume 6, from the Hartford Civic Center, October 14, 1983, and it's the most typical Grateful Dead show of all time. Every song is in every spot it should be. It unfolds as the, it's the most typical Grateful Dead show, but yet it's worthy of being in the, in the series because the second set to that show is so incredibly hot and spot-on. So you get a great contrast between Dick's Picks 5 and Dick's Picks 6, and that's the Grateful Dead for you. So the show opens up with cold rain, and I've yet to meet a person who didn't like the fact that the dead opened up with cold rain. Definitely one of the most upbeat uh, openers, usually a sign of good things to come, as it was on this night. Uh, Jerry's singing emphatically, and Phil early on establishes you know his bass as a major factor in, in this show. Um, it keeps reappearing through the show. He's almost like the musical director. You could just hear it in the in the playing that night. There's something about his bass. It's loud, pronounced, and he does a lot of cool stuff throughout the show. 
So you get a cold rain, uh, CC Rider's next. This is still the early stages of CC Rider. It would become a much hotter song by like 1981. The jams were uh, better. But the cool thing about this, it's got like an easy swing to it. Whereas the uh, versions that would ensue are more mechanical and robotic. Uh, so I do uh, like the easy swing of this uh, CC Rider. Uh, shows rolling along. Uh, Dire Wolf in the third spot. Very nice. Uncle River. Shows well, you know, at this point, you're, you're listening to it. Good show. You don't think it's gonna be does it doesn't yet have the uh, the power of one for the ages, but I think everything starts to change with the sixth song, Brown Eyed Women. Uh, you know, they're cooking along, Jerry's uh, singing nicely, and then we get to the uh, short solo, short perky solo in the middle. And Phil, in the middle of this thing, just drops this bass bomb, which I put out, you know, just changed the direction of the jam. It almost like, it almost shook Jerry up. Like right after Phil hits this bomb, Jerry goes off on a rip, a very, very hot jam for, for brown-eyed women. And let's, uh, let's check that out. The bottle was dusty, but the liquor was clean. The sound of the thunder with the rain pouring down. And it looks like the old man. spicy jam there and Phil is a disturber of the peace on this night in Oakland 44 years ago today so the uh, show moves along New Minglewood Blues is next hot version uh, it sounds like uh, Jerry wanted to go off a little more on uh, his, uh, his his solo but Bob came in all's good hot Minglewood uh, next song friend of the devil and when Dick's Picks Volume 5 first came out, I remember getting it. I wasn't as obsessed with The Grateful Dead during the 90s as I was before and after. Just because I was taking in so much new music, all the Dylan and Miles Davis, and I was just huge into my CD collection. And, you know, unfortunately, Jerry's passing in 95. Um, I regained my obsessed status in 2000 uh, when the archives became available online and downloading music. So... Uh, so I'm trying to say I didn't get into Dick's Picks 5 as much as I should when it first came out. But the one song that stood out for me when I was listening to it, and I was, I was like, this is the best version I've ever heard, is The Friend of the Devil. I mean, Jerry singing on this is so sweet. It, it's just a poignant version. Uh, Brent's sounding great. I mean, Brent's established in the, in the band now towards the end of 79. And uh, the solo by Garcia here is incredible. Just uh, two rounds of... Uh, percolating uh guitar licks there 
Um, definitely one of my favorite friend of the devils. The the devils from this era were very good. Um, you know, from like 77, they, um, where they only did one round where Garcia would just do one round. Now they do, uh, you know, it's typical for Garcia to do two rounds and devil moving forward and double the Garcia is always more, more fun for us, uh, listening fans out there. Uh, so we got the friend of the devil looks like rain next. Uh, we're closing in last two songs of the set. Uh, next to last song is Alabama getaway. And wow, once again, another standout version, as are most of the ones from uh, late 1979. Uh, Interesting, the songs from Go to Heaven, most of them sounded great right away. Whereas you take In the Dark, it seemed like it took a couple years till they really established the songs. They sounded good live. And obviously, they didn't go into the studio to record it till the songs had been around for four or five years already. But the songs from Go to Heaven were came out of the box great like Alabama getaway and um most Althea was very hot within the first six months as was feel like a stranger so that these songs were just like ready to go and the the cool thing about these early getaways and especially the one here you got um Brent and Jerry both jamming in every single instrumental break so you got three instrumental breaks um so Alabama getaway eventually becomes an opener and it's a it's a very solid opener. It was a typical opener throughout a lot of the early 80s. Um, but when they played it at the end of the set, like this here, it was a little longer, more jammed out. And Alabama Getaway really could have went could have went in a different direction. It could have ended up being like a second set jam song. Let's check out some of this uh, second instrumental from the Alabama Getaway Oakland Auditorium.
a powerhouse version of Alabama Getaway for you. And I believe uh, there's one from the Stanley Theater. I'm trying to remember the date, maybe November 30th, 79. Um, I believe that's the best version I've ever heard. I haven't heard that one in a while. I'm just pulling that up out of uh, memory. But all the Alabama Getaways from this uh, 79, uh, early 1980 era, very hot. Can't go wrong with any of them. Uh, set ends with Promised Land, and uh, this is a scorcher, uh, one of the hotter versions of this you'll hear. And it's interesting how Promised Land developed into a much better song as the years rolled by. If we think back to 1972, Europe 72, when they uh, started putting Promised Land in the sets more predominantly, it wasn't much of an instrumental there. It was just basically the song, uh, you know, a Chuck Berry rocker, uh, enjoyable. And Greatest Story, which would be the other pairing for Alabama Getaway, the dead original, um, just a, a killer tune, you know, like a, a mass, uh, to me, it was a masterpiece in 72 through 74, just with the jamming of it, one of my uh, favorite tunes to go to. And then as we move forward into 79, 80, 81, Greatest Story has been reduced to a, a cookie cutter song where the, the jam is pretty much the same every time. They, they really don't add any length to it. And Promised Land has developed into the better the better instrumental, uh, regardless of which song you really like better, um, the, the better uh, the better chance for improvisation comes in Promised Land, which would, would have been unfathomable if you go back to 1972 and listen to those two songs. That's the evolution of Grateful Dead music and a great first set to get things going and, and typical Dead fashion, things just get stranger and stranger as set two unrolls. So it's a day after Christmas, and boy, did the Grateful Dead have a Christmas present in store for the for their fans with the opening of set two, Uncle John's Band. Uh, now, this is the first Uncle John's Band since 1977. It had been two years and 170 shows since it was last played. And as, as happy as the fans were, they must have been overjoyed to be hearing Uncle John's. Uh, nobody was happier than the, than the dead when they're playing it, because this is just a unbelievable version um garcia takes that first solo and just rips it so um hey let's go back to the audio tape this one's worth it uh the uncle john's band uh jerry's been waiting two years to uh play it again and boy is he happy to be reunited with uncle john's god damn i declare have you seen the light
the same story the crow told me. It's the only one he knows. Like the morning. Jerry Garcia and Fuego. Jerry loves jamming in that Uncle John's pocket, man. He could just stay in there and just keep regenerating the leads hotter and hotter, quick picking and poking. Uh, yeah, such so a joy to hear Jerry reunited with Uncle John's band uh, going off there. And as after they they don't end the Uncle John's, they, they leave it open. Um, it's, it will return. Everyone's going to forget about it in the Oakland Auditorium, but it will return later in the show. Uh, the band's just gets a great jam going, uh, kind of playing around with a couple of ideas. It, it sounds like almost like they might go into Lost Sailor at one point, uh, but then they make the move to Estimated Profit. And <laughs> man, this, this Estimated Profit, just the Uncle John's and the Estimated, these are like all time great versions to start off the set. A very, you know, an unusual pairing uh, and unusual to get back to back versions like this to start a set. But uh, yes, uh, so they go into Estimated Profit. And just going back to the Uncle John's, this was a great period for Uncle John's that came back. And many hot versions in 1980. There's one from Hartford, which is ridiculous. And uh, a lot of really good Uncle John's from this period. And um, it pretty much stayed in the rotation all the way uh, through the end. Uh, They never made that mistake again, uh, leaving Uncle John's in the can for a couple of years. Uh, So Estimated... uh, they're just on fire at this point. Uh, the, the middle jam, explosive, weird, uh, cuts in, uh, the band overrides them, uh, plays with the chord sequence a little further, um, and then, you know, and then weird comes back again. Uh, they go to the outro jam, and for the next, I don't know, 15 minutes or so, um, it's just the improvisation, uh, you know, that, uh, improvisational heaven for, for the for the dead and their fans and some of it's just like, like they're playing and they're happily lost you know they're, they're not committing to anything um uh, after a while I, the estimated leads are very hot and after a while it seems like they're making a move towards eyes of the world uh jerry gets that he loves those quick riffs for eyes and but it's obvious like the band is just not committing to it so um they they drift off a little bit and but eyes is not done. There's like a little rebirth of eyes. Jerry's get, getting those uh, hotter than a butter hitting frying pan licks going for the eyes. But they're they're playing it. They're but they're playing around with it more than you you're, you're buying into the fact that they're going to go into it. Uh, it could it could even be put on a tape as an eyes tease. But um, the jam keeps rolling forward, and eventually it almost takes off in a caution like direction. Um, and, and right now, Phil's just bombing away, um, changing the direction of everything. And so it breaks into something which sounds like caution. But once again, it's not, you wouldn't call it a caution jam. It's not fully committed to caution. And then Phil hits what definitely sounds like uh, John Coltrane's Love Supreme, some unbelievable uh, bass notes there. And uh, this thing just keeps rolling on, rolling on. So it's, uh, you, could, you could break it up. You could into estimated and jam one as they did on uh dicks picks five or you could just call it a 20 minute estimated profit um but either way it's uh insane playing a lot of the they did a lot of this in 79 i think late 79 you get more music that sounds like it's almost like a 74 kind of feel where you get that free-flowing improvisation they did a lot of that in the second set as they closed in on drums um eventually uh the estimated uh that this jam rolls into He's Gone. 
and you know nice version of he's gone uh and as they instead of a, going into a, a long outro at the end of he's gone um right now by this point you already got a, a hell of a pre-drums it's very long between you know between the uncle john's estimated and he's gone so not much of a he's gone outro because they make a definitive turn into the other one now, now usually if at this point if they're thinking other one they might start noodling with it and play it after drums, you know, kind of give you a hint of what's to come. But this man, they, they make a, they make a turn and Phil is just unloading. It's like the most definitive start you'll ever hear to another one. Like we're not messing around. There's going to be no easy going into it. They just rock right into it. And uh, it's a concise version, very hot, um, probably seven, eight minutes roll by, two good jams. You know, sometimes you get a little longer, but uh, they're on fire, and it just the Phil's playing here is ridiculous. Uh, definitely, this is his second set. You got you to gotta take in and just uh, enjoy every little bit of it, and you won't hear any better Phil in the other one uh, than, than this version from the Oakland Auditorium. And being that the, you know, these Bob sings the second verse, and it's a little bit shorter than usual, um, on this night, that, that won't stand because then they do an, another long jam. Um, on Dick's Picks, they call this Jam 2. Um, it's really, I think it's more of another one based jam. It really belongs to the other one, but it, you know, it gets out there, but it's other one based. So you could even chalk it up uh, as part of the other one, almost like a third, third solo or a separate jam on its own. But another uh, crazy uh, development in a show that just you know keeps breeding weird music that you never heard before and uh then obviously we get a, a nice drum solo i really couldn't figure out i i didn't read anything into it but it, it's called drums one and two once again on dick's picks which um to me it just sounded like one long drum solo and then they call the space after drums jam two or i forget maybe jam three something like that but it's it's actually space but it's one of the cool it's short but it's, it's such a cool space it's just like the aliens are coming, you know, I don't know how they create these sounds. It's not even, I wouldn't even call it great music or great playing, but it's just uh, three minutes, three, four minutes of just these incredible sounds, which are really captivating. Uh, definitely not any kind of a boring space there. Uh, then they break into Not Fade Away and a really good version. Once again, it's not probably not as hot as some of the stuff on the first side, but definitely they, they put the effort in. Uh, Jerry's cooking along. And then, uh, you know, just when you think you're settling into some kind of regular pattern here, Garcia goes into Broke Down Palace after Not Fade Away, you know, kind of early after drums, uh, time for Broke Down Palace to be put in there. Beautiful version of Broke Down Palace. And if you're at the show at, at this point, you're taking this in live, you know, you got to be thinking, hey, this might be the last song of the set, you know, Not Fade Away, Broke Down, you know, they're, they're usually not going to come back with something after that, a long show. It would have been a great show, substantial, if they said goodnight and didn't even come back for an encore. It was that great of a show up to that point. Uh, but on this night, they just keep rolling on, the, you know, the, the tunes keep keep coming, we get in around and around. Uh, one of the short versions, um, I'm not sure exactly when the transition took place, but in 77 and then in 78, you know, you got the longer, more rocked out around and rounds, but now it's just a shorter round and round, more of a setup for the song to follow, which in this case is just a killer Johnny Be Good 
Uh, they, they rip it up, rock and roll, one more time for the Oakland Auditorium. So you're really getting both sides of the Grateful Dead on this show, their ability to improv and make stuff up and just get out there. Then the hard-hitting rockers, Promised Land, uh, Good Night for Chuck Berry tunes, Around and Around, Johnny B. Good, The Alabama Getaway, just a really good hard-hitting rock and roll on this night to, to offset all the weird uh, yet completely intriguing improvisation. And the, the story's only beginning, usually the encore, I'd say U.S. Blues, Good Night, you know, something like that. Um, but this night has like the perfect encore to cap off the show. Uh, they go into Shakedown. And j- just to catch Shakedown as an encore is a, is a huge gesture. Um, uh, go to Heaven hadn't come out yet, so Shakedown's the most recent song. Uh, very good version, nice jamming, Some once again, some really weird interplay between Weir, Garcia, Brent. It's like, I don't even know who, with all the effects they're using, I don't know who's doing what, but uh, a lot of great jamming and it's a 14 minute shakedown, which is like really long for, for the encore spot. Usually if you're going to get a shakedown encore, you could shave a few minutes off of it. It was pretty, it wasn't common, but they did it a few times. And in the encore slot, usually these songs get shortened up, but uh, hey, they took their time with the shakedown. And then just when everybody in the in the auditorium had forgot that Uncle John's had been left open, that the Uncle John's loop could be concluded, they come back with Uncle John's band to close it out. I mean, what a just incredible, you know, just to, they hadn't played Uncle John's in two years. They do a killer version and you completely forgot about it. It's it's like a playing loop that had come and gone. You can't imagine they're going to bring it back, but they had a, a grand plan on this night and they segue from Shakedown to Uncle John's so let's close out uh, the 12 2679 and hear that Uncle John's band reprise.
Good night. Ah, yeah, Jerry wheeling and dealing in the Uncle John's band pocket again. There it is, the reprise after uh, coming out of Shakedown Street uh, to end the show there. Happy 44th anniversary, Dick's Picks, Volume 5. Now it's time for Album of the Week and how I come about these uh, choices. It's just whatever I'm listening to a lot that given week. And usually it's a, it's a pretty damn good album if it tears me away from the uh, Grateful Dead listening. And this week it's Neil Young and the Blues Notes. This note for you. This note's for you. And usually I'll, I'll pick an album that's not a well-known masterpiece like Bob Dylan's Highway 61 Revisited. Something uh, a little more overlooked will usually be the album of the week. Uh, so yeah, this this one's a, a gem, which I definitely think is the most underrated album in, in Neil Young's over, in his uh, canon of albums. And, and that's what happens with guys like Neil Young, Bob Dylan, Van Morrison, they come out with so many great albums that really good ones just kind of uh, fly under the radar and get lost. And even the artists themselves forget to or choose not to play songs from them as time goes on. But uh, yeah, this one, just an unbelievable album, came out in April of 1988. And it was part of, of what brings back such good memories for me with this album is I saw Neil Young that summer in Pier 51. I think it was Pier 51. Not not exact about the number, but it was on the west side of New York. Summer night, I saw Neil Young and the Blues Notes. One of the best concerts I ever saw. Crazy, crazy good. And um, I knew all the songs from, from, the, from the album, This Note's For You. Uh, at this time, in or before this time, we got the, the Dead Hat in the Dark. It was a great like little renaissance for... Uh, uh, famous artists we uh you had bob dylan was in the studio around this time with the traveling wilburys recording their first album and then uh dylan would go on to do el mercy uh george harrison had a hit with cloud nine petty would do full moon fever roy orbison would do mystery girl um so yeah lots of just great albums from great artists and all these tours like back in this this is like 35 years ago People were counting these artists out, and most of them are still cooking uh, these days. You know, so you got um, also the Stones and the Who were touring that summer. Stones had Steel Wheel, so it was just it was a great little renaissance. Um, you know, a period I look back very fondly on. And this, so, getting to this uh, Neil Young and the Blues Notes, first song of the album is is incredible. It was incredible in concert. It's incredible to start the album off. Ten men working. Neil sings. You you got to dig the. We're going to dig the groove. We're going to hammer the blues. You can't sit down because we got a job to do. Ten men work, and that was the theme of this band. And boy, did they put that across. It was uh, such a great, not only studio band, but, but live band. And the beauty is when Neil would cut into an instrumental jam, uh, then the horns would come in at the right time, and they would just go back and forth. And I've never heard anything like this in the studio or live where a horn section would sound so good with the lead guitarist. It's, it's almost like Neil's guitar was meant to be played. The, the way he plays guitar was meant, perfect mesh to go with, uh, with, with horns and the, the way they just trade back and forth. And uh, one, one of his best bands, just incredible. So you got 10 men working. And the strength of any great album is coming out strong. And, and this album comes out, hits hard on the first three songs. Uh, this Notes for You is uh, number two. 
And it's a, pretty much like an anti-commercial statement. Uh, surprisingly, it did uh, get nominated for an MTV TV video, even though I did very little with MTV back in the day, like watching it. Um, but I, I guess that was probably the most popular part of the album that had had some life to it was This Notes for You, the, the video. But, but such a great song. Uh, Neil sings, ain't, ain't singing for Miller, ain't singing for Bud. Won't sing for politicians, ain't singing for spuds. And then he would, this note's for you. And in concert, he would just, he would sing this note's for you as he, as he would mimic himself on guitar. Um, very cool, uh, great tune. And since I keep mentioning the concert, there's like a, a, well, not a companion album, but they eventually, many years later, released Blue Note Cafe, which is uh, this band playing all these tunes plus more. Um, I'd also recommend, besides the studio album, getting that Blue Note Cafe. Uh, there's probably seven, eight songs that this band w- was written for this band to be played, which never made it onto this Notes for You. Uh, so Blue Note Cafe is definitely, I think that came out about five years ago, if I'm correct on that, not sure. Um, and then song number three, Coupe de Ville. Now this song has you know these rocking blues songs swinging, rocking blues songs. And then there's about three or four slow tunes where they really take it down a notch. This one is the most touching, uh, Coupe de Ville. Um, and once again, Neil sings, can't carry this monkey around all by myself. If I can't have you, I don't want nobody else. And, and the music is just, man, what a throwback, uh, beautiful ballad it is, touching the way Neil sings. And there's a great trumpet part in there. So... Um, and then Life in the City is number four on the album and such a strong start to the album. And this is just a straight out rocking, swinging blues number. Uh, and the, I'll never forget that night. I'm on the, the west side by the pier just looking at New York City while Neil's playing Life in the City. Uh, so yeah, great memories there. Uh, the album rolls along. I think uh, the, the middle part has a couple of good tunes. Married Man, once again, a Great exchanges. It's almost like the, the horn section is almost like the drums keeping the beat on this one, and just the back and forth between Neil, and Neil and the horn section there. Uh, Married man, cool tune. Sunny inside. I was about to say silly, maybe not silly, but a simplistic little love song, but just so upbeat. The spirit of it is, is cool. No lead guitar in there. It's the uh, the horn section takes over and does like a nice bit in there. Uh, there's a few more so, slow songs on the album, but song nine is the killer. Hey, hey, my woman looks good to me. Not hey, hey, my, my, or my, my, hey, hey. This is just hey, hey. Um, and, and, and this Neil sings, get off of that couch, turn off, turn off that MTV. Hey, hey, my woman looks good to me. And it, it's, a, it's a rocker. It was great to see live in concert. And I think very simply that the, mess, the message here. Or the way I interpret it is, you know, f- screw MTV and sitting down and watching videos, experience live music. And, um, you know, the, the whole MTV period by that point in my life, I, I had no, when MTV came along, I couldn't care less because I was already creating all the videos in my mind as I've been listening to songs all my life. So it was almost like an intrusion on my listening uh, pleasure to throw a video out there, which a lot of times wasn't even in the, the artist's intent to have that statement. I think with, with music, there's just so much you could do with it in your own mind uh, just by listening to it. 
a video kind of limits your ability to, to do that and kind of limits the listener's creative uh, uh, listening process. So, yeah, not, not, not was never a big fan of watching MTV videos, although, you know, some, some no doubt getting some of these artists on, on camera is cool. And now and then I go back and check it out. But my, whenever I listen to music, I always I got my own, my own videos going on, my own interpretations, and that's the whole point. It's a creative process between the artist and his fans, and uh, MTV inter- definitely interfered with that. Hey, hey, my woman looks good to me. So yeah, check out Neil Young and the Blues Notes. This note's for you if you haven't heard it before. I'm sure some of you out there already love the album and, and dig it, dig the groove. Uh, so a couple of cool, cool albums, Dick's Picks Fives with uh, Phil's Rumbling Thunder Bass Bombs. So that, that's the end of episode 21 of the Deadology Podcast. I'm your host, Howard Weiner. Uh, we now have a Deadology Podcast page on Facebook. Uh, check that out if you have any comments on the show, anything, pictures, whatever you, you want to you add. Uh, my website, tangledupmatoons.com. All my books are available there and on Amazon. And I'm looking forward to next week. I'm looking forward to the research of <laughs> picking out the 10 best uh, performances from New Year's Eve. We're going to do a little uh, New Year's Eve countdown. If everything goes as planned, I will be actually be doing it on New Year's Eve, and the podcast will be out New Year's Day. Looking forward to that. Uh, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Howard Weiner. Until we meet again, peace out. Peace out.